0: man, Give him a welcome. Amen. <laughs> okay. Is it working? Yep. Okay, good. Um, so thanks for that introduction, Steph. Uh, I've got a lot to live up to now. <laughs> um, so today I'm going to be talking, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, how words matter. And uh, I thought I'd start with a story. Dave Mance advised me that I should say something that would put everyone at ease, right? So I'm going to start with a story. Um, I learned last year how words matter in quite a, uh, yeah, quite a scarring way. Um, As many of you will know, um, this time last year I was really, really ill. I went to Mozambique um, about two years ago and and I, I had the injections beforehand and I took the malaria pills for the first week or so. Uh, but then I was like, yeah, yeah I don't need it. And, and I don't need to do things like drink bottled water. Uh, I can just drink what the locals drink because they're fine. And I don't need to avoid things like stagnant water, you know, because it's probably fine. Turned out wasn't fine. And I got really, 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 really ill. And I came back to England and, um, and I, I got better for a little bit. Um, and then my health kind of deteriorated. And, and, and it's a long story, but I, I, I gradually got better. Over the course of last year, I had to go to the doctor a lot, um, probably on a weekly basis. Um, and these are the kind of doctor's visits um, that you and your clothes part ways, right? Yeah, everyone knows that kind of doctor's <laughs> visit, right? And it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things that few of us really get used to, you know? It, it's, it's quite awkward. Um, and I like to think that over the course of last year... Um, I, I became more comfortable with it, but there was still an awkwardness, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I had an, a usual a usual kind of check-up, and the, the doctor, um, uh, I had the same doctor the whole time, and, and they were of a, a, another generation, so I, I felt very much, uh, you know, the awkwardness was limited. But anyway, I, I took my blood pressure, had a, a, a blood test to take the, check the vital signs and everything, and, he, and, and the doctor said, hey, could you just, you know, go around the curtain... And uh, just you know, lower your trousers. So I, so that's what I did, and uh, <laughs> and I went around the around the curtain. I lowered my trousers and I lowered everything, and, and I lay on the, I lay on the bed, and um, the doctor's tapping away at the computer, right? And I'm lying there, you know, and and a few minutes passes, right? A few minutes. So I'm, I'm and it's not. I mean, it's not something that you want to be doing for a great length of time. So I'm I'm still I'm still sitting there, and. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at Lizzie. Anyway, so I'm sitting there for two or three minutes, and 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 suddenly the awkwardness starts coming back, and I start feeling really, really awkward. And I think, oh no, I thought I'd kind of got over this, you know, awkward feeling. Anyway, so I think to myself, how can I put myself at ease? How can I put the doctor at ease? What's the best thing I can do in this situation? Um, And I come up with an ingenious plan. Um, and that was, uh, it's amazing to think it now, you just to put my hands behind my back like this, right? And so when the doctor comes around the corner, you know, I'm relaxed. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, I do this, and the doctor comes around the corner and, and just stops, right? Just you know, stops. And I'm like, you know, have I done anything wrong? And, um, and the doctor just says, oh, Ollie, I, I, ju- I just said the trousers. <laughs> so, i I'm sat here, and it, it's one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. So I, I have to say, <laughs> I, I have, just have to verbalise it and just say, uh, this, this, honestly, this is really, really embarrassing. And then the doctor starts laughing. He can't stop laughing, and in the end, I had to book another doctor's appointment. <laughs> um, so anyway, words matter. <laughs> yeah, it's not, that, it's not that relevant, but uh, hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully you're all at ease now. Anyway, so... For those of you that have been with us uh, over the summer, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, a sermon uh, which Jesus gives. And um, it's, in many ways, an all-encompassing sermon, and a very relevant sermon to us as Christians. Uh, The first section we looked at was the Beatitudes. Um, And in that section, um, Jesus basically goes over... um, how things work in the kingdom. And, and we saw how um, the the logic of the kingdom of God is very much at odds with the logic of today, of our culture. Um, and so and, and so we moved on from that and we, we heard um, uh, from Tom that uh, we're to be called to be salt and light um, and, and we're not to hide what we've been given under, uh, under a jar. Um, and w- what we arrived at last week, I think it was, or maybe it was the week before, um, was this section of Scripture uh, which theologians called the Six Antitheses. And what they are is uh, Jesus takes a section of the Mosaic Law um, and a typical interpretation of the day, which has been in- interpreted by the scribes of the Pharisees, and he proposes a corrected interpretation. So he's not adding to the law, he's not... Um, He's not um, changing the law, but he, what he's doing is he's changing the uh, interpretation of the law. And what uh, we find is that um, whereas the interpretation of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes, it was, um, it was all about external box ticking. It was about fulfilling the letter of the law. Um, Jesus teaches us that, no, the Christian life is to transform us internally. It is... Uh, It changes the inside of us, and that affects our external action. action. So it's not about ticking a load of boxes. It's rather about being transformed, and then we live out a life which uh, which is a godly life. So we've heard that murderers... um, God isn't only concerned with murderers, um, but he's also concerned with people that get angry and people that harbour unforgiveness and people that do things, things that we all do in our heart, Um, that in very, very few cases leads to acts of physical violence, but they are nonetheless hugely destructive. We've seen how God is not only concerned with those who commit adultery, but he's also concerned with the lustful look. He's concerned with those who commit adultery in our hearts. And and what we're going to be looking at today is our speech. And, And that's kind of a weird one, in that speech if you think about it, it's a very external thing. <laughs> you know, it takes a very short length of time for it to get from here to here to here, right? Which is why this is quite nerve-wracking. But, um, but so it, it is, in a sense, quite different. But, but actually, hopefully, I can, uh, I can show you that actually it's about how we're transformed internally and how what the honesty in our speech needs to be played at, is played out as a result of that transformation. So if we can all take our Bibles, we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, verse 33 to 37. And I'll read it... It. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, "You shall not swear falsely; you shall uh, but sh- shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn." But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's; eh, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So I'm going to start just by looking at this. The first thing that Jesus says, which again, which is again, you've heard it said, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Um, first thing to note about that quote is that it's not a direct quote from any one passage of scripture. It's rather an interpretation. It's it's lumping together of of lots of verses. Um, So it's taken primarily from Exodus 20, verse 7, which is uh, the third commandment, do not take the Lord's name in vain, but it's also taken from Leviticus 19, verse 12, which says, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of God, I am the Lord. Numbers 30, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath, to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. And Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy twenty three: If you make a vow to the Lord at your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. And there are other verses in the Bible. So, um, so it isn't a direct quote, but it is a fairly accurate um, summary of what the law says. Um, basically, what it's saying is: If you're going to say something in the presence of the Lord, you better do it, right? And that's not a very controversial idea, if you think about it. I mean, doing things that you say that you're going to do is a fairly, you know, it's a fairly universal virtue. I mean, even if you took out the name of the Lord, you said to most atheists, should you do what you say? And they, they, most people would say yes. I mean, have you met anyone that would say, oh, yeah, I really believe in lying? It doesn't really work like that. Or, I really, you know, I really admire people that go against their word. That's not how it works. Um... We, in society, um, we, we, we think that lying is bad and we really esteem keeping a word. I mean, how many films have you seen where the rugged protagonist goes through you know, everything just so that he can keep his word? You know? It's something that is um, esteemed widely. Um, but in practice, things are more complicated, aren't they? Um, I mean, th- what's the most common public vow that we make? probably marriage, and yet half of them end in divorce. Take it uh, perhaps down a notch. Lying, dece- lying and deception in society is rife. I mean, we've, we've just had a uh, phone hacking scandal where they're deceiving, lying, deceiving, uh, manipulating to get behind people's backs so that they can reveal lies that people... Are, I mean, it's just a web of lies, right? And then before that, we had the expenses scandal where people are claiming... Uh, claiming money for things that they didn't need, or perhaps even they didn't even uh, they didn't even buy. They're just claiming money. just lying. And even common day-to-day truthfulness. When truthfulness is required, times it seems okay to tell a white lie, doesn't it? It seems okay to maybe exaggerate or bend the truth. So just a few examples that I thought of. What about when you're walking down the road and you're having a great time, right? And then you see someone from Save the Children in a yellow vest, like, smiling at you. And, you, and, you know, what are you going to say? And And there's, like, this breaking distance and I'm thinking, he's going to hit me in, like, five, five, ten seconds and I've got to think of something, you know. I, and I, he reached me and I go... And then I just, you know, get past. You know, it's... it's and then... Equally, something that I've really thought about is what about when a homeless person, not just asks for money, but says, have you got any money? Or have you got any money to spare? Yeah? No. Have I? Really? So, what I'm trying to say, basically, is we in society, what we do, we, we seem to categorize events and moments when when the truth is really, really required of us and when it's not really that required of us. Basically, we've all reached the same conclusion, that in practice, things are more complicated than just yes or no. And the Pharisees knew this complication. They knew it well. In their characteristically legal fashion, um, they looked to the law and thought, how can I devise a way in which I'm still justified by what the law says, right? The law seems to be saying I've got to be honest in all situations. But that's kind of difficult, right? So how can I devise a way by which it's still okay? And they came to this genius revelation. They they thought, aha, all of these verses, or almost all of them, make direct reference to, to the promise being made in the presence of the Lord. And so they say what about if I say something and it isn't in the presence of the Lord? Well, then, presumably, I don't need to keep it. So, taking the Lord's name in vain, the emphasis is on the Lord's name, rather than the in vain bit, right? Um, And so, what they did is they devised a whole kind of list of, of oaths and vows that, you, that were binding, and then oaths and vows that were not binding. And it was just, it was just a whole mess, right? I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous, really. Uh, and Jesus rightly mocks them for it later in Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, blind guides, he's talking to the, the scribes and the Pharisees, who say, Pardon me, who say, anyone who swears by the temple is nothing, uh, it, uh, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, then he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, anyone who swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, then he's bound by his oaths. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So they had this list. They had all sorts of vows which they, they could make which were binding and those that were not binding. And this really is what Jesus is addressing. He's addressing the feeling that we can say one thing in one setting and it's binding, and we can say one thing in another setting and it's not binding. And so he proposes his antithesis, his alternative interpretation of this verse. So what he says uh, in verse 34 is he says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So firstly, the big question, is Jesus banning oaths outright? This is a question that people, Christians, godly people down through the ages, have, have, have gone both sides of. Um, the 16th century Anabaptists believed that you should never make an oath, for example um, the Quakers to this day uh, don't hold an oath and George Fox, who started uh, that movement who um, it, it was very, very different when it started um, uh, a godly man um, r- famously refused to make an oath in fact, he'd say, verily I'll do it and there was a saying at the time if, if George Fox says verily, there's no altering him. So he was known for his integrity, and, he, and yet he refused to take an oath. But having read quite a bit on the subject over the last few weeks, I've become I'm convinced, actually, that this isn't what Jesus is saying um, on the balance of Scripture. And there's two reasons for that. Um, firstly, is that God makes oaths in the Bible. Um, so I've got to list them here. So when Abraham... Uh, no, that's the other one. <laughs> so in Genesis 22, he says, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this, I, I have not withheld, uh, and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, this is Isaac, um, and I will surely multiply your o- offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the seashore. Um, in Genesis 9, he promises Noah that he's no longer going to flood the earth. Um, Even Jesus, in Matthew 26, when he responds to the high priest, he's being questioned under oath. Um, So it seems that um, God is setting a fairly bad example if we're never to make an oath. And, of course, God doesn't set bad examples. Secondly um, is that godly people make oaths. So Abraham, when he sent his servant to find a wife for him, in Genesis 24, he asked for an oath. Joseph asked for an oath from his brothers in Genesis 50. Jonathan asks for an oath and gets it from David in 1 Samuel 20. And Paul asks for an oath on, on more than one occasion. Um, uh, not asked for an oath, he, he swears as a way of building up faith in the people he's writing to. So, so if we are to make oaths, then <laughs> why is Jesus saying, do not take an oath at all? I believe Um, that what he was addressing was was something that had been forgotten about the spirit of the law and the meanings of oaths themselves. And that is that everything we say is in the presence of the Lord. When we make an oath, we're merely reminding ourselves of something which is the truth the whole time. And and that is the purpose of of an oath. It is is to remind yourself and everyone around you of how solemn our words are. God is always with us. We're indwelt by his spirit, and he's the spirit of truth, so we can't lie. We mustn't lie. I I heard it put like this, giving an oath matters because not all words are true. But if all your words are true, then giving an oath doesn't matter. What Jesus is saying is that we should conduct ourselves in a way that the oath made to assure everyone of your credibility is no longer necessary because everyone already knows that you're credible, right? Right? There's a famous story of uh, Winston Churchill when he met with Roosevelt um, in the Second World War. And they had a meeting about how the US and the UK were going to fight together in Casablanca. And at the end of the meeting, Churchill said uh, publicly, um, I imagine it was at a press conference or whatever they had in those days, he said publicly that he was prepared to put in a treaty what they had agreed. And Roosevelt turned to Churchill and he said, No, thank you. Your word is enough. And Churchill said right up until his death that, that was one of the greatest honors he had received from anyone. And how many honors did uh, Churchill receive? Probably quite a few. So the Pharisees thought that if God wasn't involved in the matter, then it didn't, it didn't really matter. If God wasn't involved in what you were saying, then it wasn't really binding. But what Jesus is saying is you can't compartmentalize your life. He's Lord of everything. He purchased everything. There isn't a word, which I say here, that uh, he doesn't own. He owns everything, and everything we do is in the presence of him because we are a temple of his Holy Spirit. So how is this relevant to us in our daily lives? I think it's hugely, hugely relevant um, in three ways. Firstly, and probably most obviously, it's relevant in just simple speech, simple truths. Like I was speaking earlier about how we lie out of convenience to get ourselves out of a sticky situation or, or out of an awkward moment. So we've got fundraisers walking down the street. If we lie, that's serious. Or, um, for example, if a friend's trying on, uh, you know, I don't know, Skin-tight plastic trousers, and you're <laughs> and like, you know, yeah, it's great. That's serious. We 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 can't, we can't, you know, we we've got to have integrity. I remember Adam. I I don't know whether he's here. He told something which really really inspired me um, a month or so ago. Is that he at the time? Uh, no, he's in Latvia now. But he at the time he worked for an advertising organisation, and they were advertising this new film called Devil. And this film was basically about the devil coming and tormenting people, as far as I can tell. I didn't look into it too much. Um, and it was his job to sell this film, right? To convince people that they needed to buy it, right? <laughs> uh, and so Adam prayed about it, and he really felt like God was saying, it's not right, it's not right. And, and his boss had said, is it Okay. Right, And he had to go, go to him and he said, no, it's not okay, I can't do it. And I remember speaking to him, I think it was right before he, he, he went in to tell his boss and he said, I could lose my job, but it's worth it. What we say matters. Another reason, uh, another thing that we do uh, with these simple truths is pride. We say silly things, uh, to make ourselves bigger than what we are, right? I mean, part of preparing for this sermon, I've been watching my speech, uh, which I, I'm hopefully going to continue doing, but I realize I do this. I do silly, I, silly, si- I say silly things which aren't true about myself. Like the other, the other day, I was talking to a friend of mine, and we were talking about a book, and I said, yeah, I've read that book. I realised I haven't read that book. I've read a chapter. I haven't even read a chapter. I've read half a chapter. Right, I'm talking like I've read the I wrote the book, you know. And, and these things are serious. It's serious. These little these little things, these these supposedly things that don't really matter, our speech matters because it's in the presence of God. Another one of these simple truths is, is deception and premeditated um, deception. Maybe there are people in this room who are involved in fraud. Maybe there are people who have. Um, Broken their vow to their wife. It's serious. All of these things are serious. And we're called to be truthful. The second point that is relevant is an inconsistent character. It's almost a cliche to preach about um, living one life on Sunday and living a different life during the week. Um, but Jesus calls us to have integrity. When we say yes to Jesus on Sunday, we're supposed to say yes to Jesus on Monday as well, and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and all of the days. Right? It, it's serious. It's serious. We've got to have integrity. A consistent character doesn't gossip. Is your yes to one person a no around, their, around the side of their back? Gossip, I heard it said, is a cancer in the church, and it's true. It grows from within. It's in our midst. It's ourselves eating away at ourselves, and it it kills us. And the third point where it's relevant to us is reliability. And this is huge. This is really, really huge. Um, (laughs) I've gotten rid of it here. It's more than the maybe button on a Facebook event, right? (laughs) Um... No, I'm not going to rant on about that. <laughs> well, about but <laughs> um, we live in an unprecedented communications age, right? I sneeze, and I can get on my phone and tell someone in Japan in ten seconds, right? I mean, have you ever thought about how crazy that is? How insane it is? We're so connected, yeah? yeah. It's 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 mental. And when my parents are growing up, if they said they were going to be somewhere. They had to find a phone box to tell someone if they weren't going to be there, right? And having been thinking about this this sermon, I've been thinking, communication's great, right? But but it has opened the door to an unprecedented level of lack of commitment. An unprecedented level of just flabbiness in life. if we can't stand firm by our commitment to the rota on Sunday, how are we going to stand firm when we're you know, really challenged to stand up for what we believe in? These things are serious. I was reading yesterday about Polycarp, who was a 20th century, a uh, uh, second century Christian bishop. And basically, at the time, it was the Roman Empire, and all he had to do in fact, all Christians had to do it, uh, at the time to ensure that their family weren't um, harassed, maybe even killed, um, was to go to a centurion once a, once a year, once a year, with a little offering of incense and say, Caesar is Lord. And Christians died. They saw their families murdered, their wives raped, because they wouldn't... Say those words and make that offering once a year. Polycarp died because of it. When we say yes, it's got to mean yes. We're all guilty of this, all of us. Um, and <laughs> I, I thought to myself, I wonder what God says about these three. Po- uh, the Bible says about these three points about liars, about people who gossip. And about keeping our word. And I was going to read them out, but I'm not going to. Because you all know what it says. God hates it. God hates it. We all deserve death for what we have done against God. God has told us that the wages of sin are death. And God never lies. When he says yes, he means yes. So when he says that the wages of sin are death, he means The wages of sin are death. And yet, he sent his son. He sent his son, Jesus, into into this world to take for us that punishment that was meant for us. In, In Isaiah 53, written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, it says... That he, that's Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes we are healed. When Jesus went to that cross, he was blameless. He had no sin in him. It said there was no guile in his mouth. And he was the perfect sacrifice. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that we deserved. But he didn't just die, he rose again. And death is defeated and we can inherit that life. He not only spares us judgment, but he cleanses us. He restores us. And we're born again. Have you ever heard Steph talk about a heart transplant? Where before we were slaves to sin, we become slaves of righteousness. Now, I'm not not trying to say that these things are easy. But God has transformed us. He's given us a new heart. Like Steph was saying a few weeks ago, we don't have to jump when sin says jump. We don't have to tell the truth. Uh, t- we don't have to tell a lie in that awkward moment because God is with us. It doesn't mean that we're going to be better overnight, but it does mean that we're running in the right direction. Now, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, um, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian what I want to do is I want to appeal to this feeling when it comes to issues of right and wrong. It seems to me that lying is the most blatant, in a sense, one of the most blatant issues of right and wrong. University, down through the ages, um, in every civilization, lying has been looked down upon, keeping your word has been esteemed. I want to appeal to that deep internal contradiction that you feel inside yourselves, about issues like lying, is the knowledge knowledge that the action in question is wrong and destructive, and yet the uncontrollable compulsion to do it. This feeling is because you're fallen. This feeling is because we have turned our back on on God. Now, we can't earn a place at his table. We can't earn... um, the right to know him and to have fellowship with him but as i've just said he does the work for us the good news is that jesus can take the consequence of our sin he can save us and he can restore us he restored me and he can restore you i haven't earned my way into his courts i don't want you to come away thinking there's someone up the front who's really uh righteous and who you know He's with God because, because of what he did. It's not because of what I did. It's because of what he did. I was offered grace and I've taken it and you can take it too. If you don't know the Lord, please do find uh, myself or one of the leaders um, and you can accept that free gift. Christians, what should we take from this? Firstly, we need to paint an honest picture of our king. We're ambassadors of Christ. We're called to be holy as he is holy. Lloyd-Johan says, We claim that we are walking through this world in fellowship with him and with his son, and that we are indwelt by his Holy Spirit very well. Grieve, what, grieve not the Holy Spirit. See, we claim to be imitators of Christ, but how does his image fare when We lie. When we break our word, when we gossip, what picture are we painting of our king? The Bible says that he's the spirit of truth and that there's no lie in him and that his word's unchanging. Brennan Manning famously said, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians, or those who call themselves Christians, who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds Unbelievable. In 1 John 2, it says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same ways that he walked. We're called to be holy as he is holy. We're called to be honest as he was honest. We're called to say yes and mean it like he meant it and say no and mean it like he meant it. The second point that we take from this is that if we lie, We're lying about who we are. We have to be true to who we are. We're a new creation. Uh, We've been purchased. Where we had a heart of stone, we have a heart of flesh. I heard heard, uh, in a sermon just the other week, it said Christian growth isn't about becoming what you're not. It's about becoming increasingly what you are. This is what we are. This has been purchased for us. This is the life that we have. We don't have to um, say yes and mean something else. We don't have to gossip. We don't have to lie. We don't have to divide. It's not who we are. And if we realize who we are, we can start acting in it. Our response to this message shouldn't be sin-focused, guilt-ridden life. Instead, it should be an insistence that we are sons of the King. We're new creations. We're no longer slaves to sin but to righteousness. Our hearts have been reoriented to Christ. That internal transformation has to, to manifest itself externally, and it will. Practically, um, I just want to end on a really practical note because I, I like practical things. Um, <laughs> Uh, we heard at a family meeting a few, a few months ago about twos and threes and getting into, I think we're calling them fight clubs. And basically the idea of this is you get into a group of two and three, uh, two or three people and you're just honest with them. You're just honest. That's basically it. You just get in a room and you just tell them the truth about where you're at, right? And um, this isn't a new new idea. James 5 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another, pray with one another that you might be healed. Prayer of a righteous man has great power. Bringing things into the light, in particular in this issue of, of lies and deception and, and a double life, if you like, brings clarity and it brings healing. Uh, I think I was trying to think of a good example of this. I don't know whether it is. So bear with me. But um, <laughs> I'm trying to. My my brother, uh, when he was younger, he really loved the night street preachers, but he. And so he would listened to mantra preachers over and over and, over and 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 over again, and so he knew all the words to every song in this one album. And uh, oh, I think it was, it was something like this. And and um, but he's not the type of person to sing aloud, right? Uh, he's just he's just not like that. It's like singing in the shower. He's not just not that kind of person. But one day I heard him singing the song "You, uh, you stole the song from my heart," and he he, he sang it you put that stuff in my eye, right? (laughs) See, he heard it, and it was never corrected because he never said it aloud. And so he thought everything about the song was... The song was about something completely different. It was about a terrible, you know, eye injury. (laughs) Um, And likewise with our lives. If we keep things inside, keep them to ourselves, in particular in this area of lies and deception... Then we grow at a weird angle, and you'd be amazed. A few years down the line, you think you're going fine, and suddenly you hit, and you're just hitting a ceiling. It's like a glass ceiling. You're like, "What's happened?" It's because you're actually going that way when you're supposed to be going that way. So practically, we can get into twos and threes. And just finally, I just want to encourage you that we're under God's grace, that He loves us, and that He's merciful. And that this is, this is a call to be honest outwardly, but also be honest with ourselves and with God and how we can't do it on our own and we need his strength. Let's honour God with our lives and our words. Let our yeses be yes and our no be no, because anything more than that comes from evil. That's all I've to say.